Hello, ni hao. Welcome to Mandarin Mama Chit Chat by Mandarin Together, where two Taiwanese moms, Trista and Yao Yao, share their experiences in raising bilingual children, exploring identity, code switching, and embracing the joys and challenges of bilingual parenting. Come along with us on this exciting journey. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I know your time is very valuable, so we are so appreciate that you are here with us today. Today, I have Trista with me, and as you know from previous conversation, she is a Mandarin teacher for eight years. She teaches Mandarin Chinese, and I thought I thought I should be I should interview her and ask some questions. I think she'll have a lot of insight and valuable information for us to learn. So, hi, Trista. Thank you for the introduction. Hopefully, my answers would be satisfying or at least helpful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to begin to ask you,、mm -hmm. how did you start? Like, would you always want to be a teacher? Always want to teach Chinese Mandarin?、Uh, how did that begin? Like, right. So,、um, I've always wanted to be a teacher since I was little. Because、uh, my dad's a professor, just watching him growing up. But yeah, like being a teacher has always been my goal. I guess my dream. And then at first, when I was in Taiwan, I was planning on becoming an English teacher.、Uh, but since I came to America, I met my husband. I guess my life was very different after that. Instead of teaching English in Taiwan,、um, I mean, obviously, I could teach ESL here in America too. But I just at the time, it just made more sense to me and for me to. To teach Mandarin Chinese, and then one thing I loved about teaching Chinese is that I'm still teaching language, which I love languages, and I'm a language learner myself as well. So I love teaching languages, while、well, teaching language Mandarin. And the second thing is that I can continue sharing my passion and my interest for culture, and then also sharing and pass my culture, my home culture, to others as well. So for me, when I say teach Mandarin Chinese, it really comes with two. Like a package, not package deal, but two elements: the language and the, the cultural elements as well. So I, this is my eighth year, and I am still loving it. Okay, so、uh, sorry, I have to jump in here. I just remember something. You know, I used to teach Mandarin Chinese, but not for long.、Uh, this is back when I was in college. I found a part-time job at a. Language music studio where the the owner she taught Mandarin and like piano music lesson. So I worked there not very long, less than a year. I either go into studio teach preschooler Mandarin, or I go to I travel to different schools like after school program. Also. Elementary school, so either preschool level or elementary school level. It was fun. I just follow the curriculum. We do a lot of singing, dancing, you know, and read storybook because they're younger. So that、mm -hmm. was that was a fun experience for for a little bit. Yeah. So can you share what age? I know you teach like different ages. What age?、Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you teach?、Uh -huh. So since you shared that, right? I guess something to add on. I will、um, answer your question in a bit. But so, really, the moment that I, I guess, realized, or like, oh, teaching Mandarin would be really fun, was I was an international student at a 
in college in the U.S. Uh, I was a part of the International Student Forum. And then for the International Student Forum, you know, we is uh, with student, international students from all over the country. So for our monthly meetings, we will have a, a student, I guess, sharing, introducing their home culture to, to the entire club. Um, and then so for me, I was the only Taiwanese student at the time. So I did a presentation sharing, I mean, some simple phrases in Mandarin, but also Taiwanese culture, Chinese culture in a broader sense. And uh, people were really intrigued and asked me a lot of questions after the presentation. And, and I think that moment confirmed my, I guess, my desire or my decision of wanting to set foot in Chinese teaching. Uh, and so after that, I was looking for opportunities uh, to teach Mandarin, just kind of build my resume, get, get more experiences. Um, so I, in my grad school, my major was language pedagogy, focusing in Chinese, and I was a graduate assistant then. So I was in Indiana University. So when I was getting my master's, I was also teaching, we call associate instructor, basically as a teaching assistant. So I had my own classes. Indiana, the setup was the lecturers, they would, they would have bigger class size, maybe like, I don't know, 60, 80 students class. But then we have smaller classes throughout the week, and I am the teacher to do the small group work with students. So I was teaching classes as well. I've taught college level Chinese. And after that, after I graduated, I started teaching in a public school. So in America, public school for world languages, the certification is K through 12, or at least for in Ohio, maybe not all states, but world language language is K through 12. So I'm certified to teach from kindergarten to 12th grade. And I've been kind of jumping around. My the majority of my teaching experience is in high school, but I've also have taught like on a Saturday, you know, like some Chinese schools. So I've also taught some Saturday schools for uh, preschool kids up to well preschool preschoolers and kindergartners, and then for I've also taught kindergartner well grade or third graders up to sixth graders. Um, seventh and eighth graders of middle class, middle school age students are the only mm-hmm. field, like the only age group I haven't uh, taught yet. And I also taught um, as Princeton in Beijing. So uh, for a lot of, I guess, adult learners or college students who want to attend intensive Chinese program, summer program, that would go to either China or Taiwan. And I also taught in Princeton, Beijing, which is a program from Princeton University in the U.S. and I also taught there too in Beijing for a summer. So I would say just kind of all over the place. Wow. Wow. I didn't even know all that. I didn't know you studied that in in college, in grad school. school. Okay. I'm going to send my two kids to you. (laughs) Grad school. Yeah. I'm going to send my two kids. Can you just (laughs) train them? Well, You know how kids kids they listen to others better? How about we switch? We will switch. Do that kid swap. Right, kid swap, yeah. So I want to ask you, do you prefer to teach like little kids? Because they're all cute and, you know, like I only have experience in like preschool and elementary kids. Or do you prefer like high school? I really can't say which one I like better because they are 
is such a cliche answer, but I just, um, so for high schoolers or I mean, sorry, not high school for younger kids, it's just very high energy level. Like you say, very, very similar to experience as well. It's a lot of singing, dancing, drawing or work. And then students come in, they just, they're curious, they are ready to learn. While in high schoolers, they're toward the end of their K through 12 journey. Sometimes I feel like I have to drag them along. The energy level is very different. Um, and when I was teaching little kids, I, I had to almost like fake you until you make it because I have to meet them at their level, right? Because they're so hyper excited over the moon and I have to prepare myself for that kind of energy level to match it up. While in high schoolers, they come into my classroom looking tired or just like not nothing against my class for me personally. It's more just, you know, they are just tired and done with, I guess, school in a sense. But I mean, every school is different too. I love my students, nothing to that. But the energy level, obviously, high schoolers are definitely a lot lower. But I can do more sophisticated language, like the activities we can do, the topics we can discuss that I can cover would be more extensive comparing to if I were to teach at, you know, younger kids. So I see both pros and cons and I like both, but I would say as I, I'm getting older, I think high schoolers is a bit better. So I don't have really be super high energy at all times. So I have some friends who are kindergarten teachers and I don't know how they do it. I admire them wholeheartedly because I just cannot be so high spirited at all times every single day. So I guess teaching little kids and older kids, you have different approach, right? There are definitely more projects. Space. Mm -hmm. I can assign them a topic. Can you give us like example of like activities you do with high schoolers? Okay, high school, I just want to get more understanding. Are they, is it elective? Like in our high school, when I went to high school, you pick Spanish or French. Is mm -hmm. it something like that for your school? Sorry, because it's been a while since high school for me. I didn't have Mandarin Chinese for my high school. So mm -hmm. I guess it, it's an elective they can pick. Is that it, what it is? So every school is different. I mean, a private, public, it's all different. But take my um, school district example, it is elective. So right now we have three languages, Latin, Spanish, and Chinese. And students get to pick which language they want to take. And ideally it's throughout high school, but sometimes students change their mind. They, you know, maybe they took Latin the first year as a freshman, but they want to switch to Spanish or Mandarin or vice versa. So it is not... Like if you want to change your mind later on, you can, and you don't have to take it throughout all um, four years. Um, it's actually not even required for graduation in Ohio for world language credits, but it just looks mm -hmm. better to apply for colleges and some more rigorous universities would prefer to see maybe two years or three years of foreign language credit at high school. But as in Ohio, it is not required for graduation, but every state okay. is different. So I'm... So I'm curious, all like your students in high school, are they more like Chinese, like, you know, second generation, third generation Chinese or mix of different type? They just curious about Mandarin. They want right. to learn Chinese. So for bigger programs in some Mandarin Chinese program, my school is small. For some bigger programs in other schools, they might have different tracks, such as heritage track and not heritage track for heritage track. Um, student classes is for students they had maybe they spoke 
men, they speak Mandarin at home already, so they come in maybe better at their heritage speakers, right? So maybe they're better at listening listen and speaking already, and then but need to work a bit more on writing and reading, or maybe not necessarily, but just they speak they speak the language at home. Could be heritage speaker in Spanish, or in French, or in Mandarin Chinese, and then not heritage speakers would be the students who do not speak uh, Mandarin at home. They come in with just want to learn from zero. In my school, however, the program is a lot smaller. It's small, so we don't have different tracks. And for my, the makeup of my students, I don't have any students that speak Mandarin at home, actually. No, no. Mm -hmm. So actually, it's easy for you, right? You can just, they're kind of in the same level. Mm -hmm. same, yeah. I know some programs maybe are small, but then, so they cannot do both um, heritage track and not heritage track. But then they have some heritage speakers. So those heritage speaker students, they have to be placed in the same classroom as other non-heritage speakers. So that is that can be really challenging for the teacher trying to uh, differentiate, or even mm -hmm. you know maybe the heritage speaker yeah. feeling under challenge. So that could, that is that is an existing challenge I'm sure is happening in some classrooms. Um, but I guess yeah, fortunately I don't have that. <laughs> but I do still have to differentiate because yeah. even math and science, right? Like some students just, you know, have different strength. Maybe some learn faster mm -hmm. than the other, or some students are just better at spe prefer speaking more than writing and reading and vice versa. So it's differentiation is always happening in the classrooms, but I do not, but at least I don't have to juggle between hurried speakers and not hurried speakers. Yeah, I can see that challenge if some is already speaking Mandarin at home. Mm -hmm. possibly can read and then some yeah. like they don't know anything. Yeah. What are some I was gonna ask, what are some activities and projects you do with your children? Like, I mean not children, like high school kids. Right. Uh so for example, right now we are working so on the travel units before we learn some vocabulary and then some travel phrases, survival phrases, or how to ask how long you're uh, where you're going, how long, how, are you, how long are you going to be there for, and all these. Once I have the language out of the way, right now we're working on a project. So for my uh, design, it's always I give them the vocabulary, the phrases they need, right? And then they would work on a project, find the language they they learned. And also just uh, more practice as well for them. So right now what we're working on is I have students um, working on a travel project is to pick a country, any country in Asia, not limited to just Mandarin speaking. So any country in Asia, your dream destination or a place, a city you would love to visit and you have not yet. And then they have to do uh, look up the airfare, like air route flying from America, from Ohio to the destinations such as Kyoto, Tokyo, Taipei, Beijing, or whatever, you know, let's pick their city. And then they can look at the air route because that's I. a lot of my students, I'm sure their students different, but at least for my students, that's not something they've ever done before. They travel a ton, but a lot of times it's their parents, right? Like take care of it. So for me, that's another life skill as well. They can learn, I don't know, how to look up airfare, air routes, and then kind of compare the different costs, different late duration of flight time, and then they decide. And then they get to pick when they're traveling too. So they look up, oh, when is the best time to visit Taipei? When's the best time to visit Kyoto? Maybe there is a... Uh, cherry Blossom Festival if they want to visit. Mm -hmm. And then they have to decide how long they're staying there for. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's days, maybe it's two weeks. They decide and then uh, they have to have a detailed itinerary of different activities and excursions and experiences doing 
they're going and then fly back to the U.S. Uh, and then they have to make a presentation, sharing that to the class. Uh, for the phrases we have learned or some simple phrases, they would present it in Mandarin. While, for example, they're going to Taipei 101. What is Taipei 101? One of, you know, like the significance of Taipei 101, right? To Taiwanese people, then they can use English, like just couple sentences. Because that, because even if they were to, they were able, even the presenter were able to present that part in Mandarin, I feel like the rest of the class would be lost. So it it, it would mix up English and Mandarin for the present for the presentation. And then another project they have to work on with a, a sub project smaller is they have to make a promotion video of the, the destination they're traveling to. Uh, and more speaking for them as well. And, you know, one is public speaking, one is in front of the camera or recording themselves. And students uh, have really positive feedback on, uh, right now we are just kind of working on it. And while they're working on it, I kind of just hop around. If they have any questions, I help them or any vocabulary language they're not sure of, I would help them with that. Or if they're just, they're stuck. Oh, I, I planned a, two, a three day, I wanted to go there for five days, but I only have three day plans. What should I do for the other two days? And I can help them look up you know, Airbnb experiences or like sunset cruises and all the other activities. And because I personally love traveling and I love planning for trips. So I really enjoyed this project. Probably enjoy this more than my students. <laughs> but so this is what we're working on right now. Wow. Okay. When you are talking, I want to jump in so bad because it's just so fun. What a fun project. So creative. I want to ask you, did you come up with that idea or is there like a school system curriculum you follow or it just, you have to come up with your own ideas and curriculum? Because I feel like this idea for a listener, if they have older kids, it's such a fun project to do. Because yeah, I mean, who doesn't like traveling? And you can, yeah, plan. Right. Or even if not something, for example, for our listeners, maybe you're actually traveling back to Taiwan, then your kids can actually help you with the planning mm -hmm. process, right? So because for my students, um, a couple of them, they were, I try to encourage them, but a couple of them, the minor complaint is, oh, this is not a trip I would never take. Why am I doing this? Some students don't see the meaning in it, but I'm trying to like encourage them. Like, you know, you never know in college or down the road, right? But then I can see the disconnection. But if it's a trip that you are actually taking as a family, then that would be even more comforting and doable because the student and then the kids would actually, well, I want to visit... You know, um, Taipei 101, maybe they never visited. And then they look up all the information mm -hmm. about Taipei 101 and then actually get to experience it, see it in person. And I think that would be such an incredible experience as well. But getting back to your question, so I'm sure some people have done a project similar to this. So, so I don't want to take all the credits. I did come up with this mm -hmm. myself, but I'm sure with all the language learning or just a different project ideas, it's very similar. So I'm pretty sure there are mm -hmm. other teachers done this before too. But for me, this, I, I came up with myself, but I'm sure it's also maybe, maybe I read it somewhere and I forgot about it. And then mm -hmm. when you set a curriculum, yes. Uh, so for each, I'm not sure about private school because I never taught in private school, but for public mm -hmm. school, um, there's common core, there are the standards that we have to follow. Mm -hmm for world language i think uh, <laughs> um i'm so for world language is because i kind of hesitate a little bit because it is not a you know not like math or english all the standardized tests we do not have standardized tests so we do have a curriculum we have mm -hmm. to follow we have the objectives we have to i guess the goals we have to meet 
but then it's very flexible. So the teachers has a the teachers have a lot of autonomy and flexibility and freedom in terms of what we want to teach and how we want to teach it. Versus, I know in math and English and science teachers, they have to meet students have to pass the standardized test and then have to score certain grades. And so for me, I think it's I don't know like I. I love that, and I feel bad for saying it because I know some other teachers would teach a different content, have different, would have some something different to say, right? So for me, yes, we do have、um, the curriculum we have to follow, but it is very fluid and flexible.、Mm-hmm. I feel like your students have a lot of fun in your class. Well, I try. Yeah. So, for me, I think structure is very important too.、Um, such as like for them to know what to expect. So I would have every Friday we do culture Fridays. So very totally different from what we're doing in class for the content for the topic.、Uh, we just do culture Fridays, and then we have done sometimes just some fun, fun games such as the ring toss. You know those night market games, ring toss, tianzi, which I don't know how to say that in English,、uh, and then the chopstick challenge. I'll give them Skittles, and then they will use chopsticks, and then we think, you know, like, like in one minute, how many Skittles can you get? And afterwards, they get to enjoy the Skittles as well. So that's one incentive. So sometimes we do a little game activities in the classroom, or sometimes we we'll go to we have a kitchen at school made actually a tanghulu. We made that with my I made that with my students or tongbing. So、uh, Friday is like a little fun thing, and students like it. At times, I would take them to international market as well, do like a scavenger hunt, like a little field trip. So yes, I'm trying to make it fun <laughs> as fun as possible. Yeah, I was just gonna ask, like, if since it's a language, you teach Mandarin Chinese, but if you incorporate like culture as well, but you kind of just answered that,、yeah. and I'm assuming you guys will celebrate Chinese New Year, Moon Festival, right? Right, and students、so、like you'll、it. do like different activities. And sometimes、mm-hmm. it's so interesting. Sometimes I feel like, oh, like at Brian Mooncake, all these years already, right? The students must be like tired of it, or like、mm-hmm. it's nothing exciting if they've ta- they've taken my class for you know all three or four years. But it's actually they always、mm-hmm. the excitement never went down, which which is a good thing for me. But sometimes I'm like, oh, we do the same paper cutting for Chinese New Year each year, or write Chunli and the spring couplet, you know, just like that's one time a year. But they never seem. Not interested. They never lost interest. But for me, I guess that makes sense because we don't really lose interest when it comes to Christmas, right? Christmas happens every year, but then we also look. We all still look for、uh, all the celebrations. So yeah, but I know. I know. Sometimes I just feel like, oh, it's so repetitive. But I mean, students never seem to, I don't know, complain or, yeah. Do you have any student that have resistance that are just tired of it? They don't want to learn Mandarin Chinese. Any of that? I know it's their by their choice. They're picking、yeah. that elective. But I'm just curious if you have any, or maybe even before this high school, like younger age. So yeah. So um, for my current high school, it's elective. Students get to choose what language they want. So really, no、mm-hmm. resistance per se, because I mean, if they don't want to learn, we're taking different. Which so, luckily、right. no. But prior to this high school, I taught at a different school, and then at the school, Mandarin was actually mandatory. So we only、mm. we we offered Spanish and Mandarin, and the students throughout high school they have to take both languages, and it's required. And that definitely there are students fighting back, like why am I learning this? I never I don't see the use in this. So that was a lot of 
I guess, persuading or convincing, but they actually make me, I don't know, push me to be more creative. I mean, at first I'm like, oh my God, I'm just here. I just want to teach. Why do I have to try to persuade and convince the students, right? But then because mm -hmm. of that, I was looking up different ways, tried different incentives or trying to be creative, make the class more fun, which is good because I think now that I'm talking to you, I have this aha moment because, I mean, my kids are also, well, at least Leo is kind of resistant to it, right? So almost, I never actually made the negotiation. But yes, like it's sometimes you just have to, I don't know, create incentives or try to encourage the students. So I did have to do that for my previous high school. When you were saying the aha moment earlier, we literally think like, because I was like, that's like your kid, that's Leo fighting back. I'm like, <laughs> I was just about to say that, like you can use the same method with your kids yeah. now. So yeah. it's actually a practice run for you. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask if you can share or if you have any like sex story to share with <laughs> us that, you know, any students that really master Mandarin in I don't know, either reading level or conversation level or writing, anything you can share with us, any success stories. We love success yes. stories. <laughs> yes. Uh, so when I was in Indiana University, obviously there was college level students and they were very, very motivated and driven. So I have like, so many successful stories. <laughs> the students mm -hmm. then, were, their majors were business or international relations Um multiple of them they actually went to China or Taiwan to study abroad as well just because they want to make Chinese a part of their career right regardless of what they were doing one of the students the reason why she learned Mandarin was because she has the love for animals like preservation and her goal like her, the reason why she learned to study Chinese was so that she could move or she could work in China work with the panda panda preservation centers yeah. So the goals or some students, this one student, she's right, he's right now working in UC, I'm sorry, DC under a diplomat uh, or something like that. So right for the university level, there's a lot of them. For the high school, I would say, let me think. There are also students who are really driven from the get-go. And then I offer as many resources as I can and I meet with them during lunch or after school. And just kind of offer, you know, just I like try to support them as much as I can. But a success, like a success story that really, I don't know, that I remember the most vividly is actually a student who did not want to learn at all, but I somehow transformed. <laughs> I somehow convinced the student. So it was my first um, teaching job. Like after IU, after I graduated, I taught at this um, public high school in Baltimore, Maryland. And then the student, as a freshman, um, he did not want to learn Mandarin at all. Well, he didn't know. I am a freshman. He didn't know what he wanted to do in the future. And then he would just be resistant and he just did not my class at all. And for me, I think the first thing as a teacher, I want to know where the resistance comes from and how can I build relationship and how can I earn his trust or how I can work with him. Maybe it's not Chinese, but maybe it's something else. Maybe I can help him figure something out he's interested in. So I work with them and luckily I had him in my advisory. So advisory we meet every single day after lunch. It's more like a, I don't know how you call it, like a little support, like a homeroom idea. And then I would just chit chat and have conversations with them. And then he realized he's really, he would really love to travel. 
And he, after high school, he's not sure what he wants to do, but he thinks maybe teaching English in a different country would be a really fun, like a gap year, a gap years. And I'm like, oh, maybe you can check that one out. And that's why he started learning um, Chinese, actually, because he, he wanted to be able to go to Taiwan or China to teach English for a couple of years. Yeah, but we unfortunately lost touch. So I'm not sure if he actually achieved that, but at least I was able to convince him and or at least... I don't know, help him find a direction. So I'm curious when you mentioned college level, a lot of success stories and you know the, the also some high school level, are they Chinese heritage or American or mixed? I'm curious because when you mentioned that, okay, we see hope because now our kids are younger, right? So yeah. I feel like a lot of that, it's like when they, if we lay that foundation and environment, I know we struggle. Like if you have school age or zero to five, now I have elementary school. If you have a lot of pushback and resistance, when they are older, they know what they want to do. Like that your student that she loves panda, she wants to be, a, she wants to work in China. They're, they see the value. Oh, I need to learn Mandarin because they're older now. They're more driven. So it, it makes me feel better. That one day, if they want to pick up the language, they will be driven. And we actually lay that foundation. It will make it easier for them, right? And kind of plant that seed in their head, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Learning Mandarin can be very useful. Yeah, so that's what yep. I want to ask. Do they have any background? Or they're maybe second generation um, yeah. immigrant or something? You know what? That's interesting you mentioned that because now thinking back, all these students, they are, they are not... Um, Asian students, <laughs> they do not have any background. I mean, I'm sure there are. Based on my my little small batch of students, they were not, no. Mm -mm. Yeah, I'm sure there are. But then for me, my students were- so It's harder for them to learn. Yes, yeah. And then because I had them when they were in college and they took Mandarin in high school already. So I wonder what was the- I guess, what was their inspiration or their reason when they first started learning um, Mandarin? But now I'm curious to know. But yeah, I don't. And actually, so in Indiana University, I had some heard speakers and they want to learn it, but was never making a career out of it per se. It's more, I mean, yes, they like the language, they like the learning, mm -hmm. the cultural roots um, is obviously useful. But at least in my experience, the heard speakers were not as driven, which I wonder why, as the non-native or not heard speakers. You know what? We will find some of them and bring, up, bring them to our podcast and ask them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. We'll interview them. Yes. For sure. Yeah, because I'm curious, especially mm -hmm. non-Chinese, and it's much yeah. harder for them to, to yeah. learn. Like They are basically starting from scratch. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Never thought about it. Maybe I will reconnect with them. So that's all my questions. I'm so glad we're doing this podcast together because I feel with your experience, you're going to bring so much value for our listeners. If you're listening out there, you have any question for Trista, please let us know. And Trista will try to answer everything she can. And as we go on, as our podcast, I know Trista will be sharing more and more 
of the stories and tips of teaching Mandarin Chinese and maybe your students' stories as well. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you love our podcast, we would love for you to leave a review. It will mean so much for us. Any word of encouragement and support, it will keep us going. If you have any questions, email us at hello at mandarintogethernow.com. We will try to answer anything. If you have any topic you want to talk about, please let us know. You can also find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook. It is Mandarin Together Now. I will link everything in the show notes, so you can just click, follow us, DM us. We also made this cute dim sum flashcard, so grab it from our show notes. All right, that's it for now. Have a good one. Bye.